Man, what a joy to be able to be gathered together to worship. Thank you, team, for leading us so beautifully uh, today. The real sweetness of the Lord's presence as we're gathered in His name. Uh, the Henning family has been away for a couple of weeks. We were gone at the end of June, and we got to see some rugged beauty out in the western states. I don't know if you've been to South Dakota or Wyoming, uh, Idaho, but uh, boy, we got to see some pretty amazing things. I brought a couple of pictures to actually show you. This is us hiking in the Badlands. That was our probably family's favorite spot that we got to go. Uh, but it was also beautiful. The Badlands, we saw the Black Hills, which was remarkable. We actually uh, got to see a little bit of Yellowstone, which was a bit of an interesting journey because after we had arrived in South Dakota, I got a text from a family member who said, I sure hope you guys are still able to get into Yellowstone. And I thought, I wonder if she knows something I don't know. Because <laughs> they were having record flooding and the whole park had been shut down and by the time we got over there, the bottom part was open, and we got to see some incredible sights. I did bring two, two other pictures that were just meaningful to me. Uh, this is a, a full moon over the Badlands. Man, just so rugged and beautiful, and this was a sunset. We got one last picture, too. Uh, natural beauty. You know, I said to some people, if there was ever a place you want to go for a prayer retreat, I think it would be out west, because if you can't hear the voice of God in the middle of that, something is, is deeply wrong. Seeing God's beauty all around us was, was wonderful. So uh, we have returned. Uh, we saw some natural wonders. We made some wonderful memories, which is a priceless gift in and of itself. We were not gored by any bison. That was also <laughs> priceless. And while we were away, our staff pastors did a wonderful job uh, preaching and, and bringing God's word to you, so I enjoyed being able to catch up on some of those messages that they did. I also learned some exciting stories I didn't know before about Chad's wild, exploding bamboo adventure, complete with quicksand and whitewater rapids. I, I do think that Seth probably has to get the gold star of all of our pastors because we're preaching about next generation, and, and Seth and Alyssa actually brought a baby into the world. So, I mean, that's, it's hard to compete with that in terms of next generation stuff. I was also slightly fascinated with Aiden's internally conflicted rodent removal services from last week, if you got to hear some of those things. Speaking of Aiden, he, spoke, uh, he started the message today talking about coffee and cookies. And I just want Miss Meredith to know that I'm drinking water and I've had no cookies today. So just so you know, and Aiden, just get ready because you're going to hear about that after the service today. All good. So we began this series in my generation in Psalm 145, talking about your greatest calling at any age, the greatest achievement that you can attain, the greatest pursuit to which you can dedicate your life is the glory of God. And that's a sort of loaded statement because I know that many of you are, are maybe in that place where you're thinking about life direction, you're thinking about calling, you're thinking about career, you're thinking about pursuit. And so sort of from one generation to the next, especially if you find yourself in these younger places, we want to underscore with you the greatest achievement, the greatest pursuit, no matter which way your vocation takes you, is the glory of God being displayed in your life. God has given us as a church, an incredible opportunity to live out the heart of Psalm 145. One generation will commend your work to another. 
Because we are a multi-generational church and it comes with some mess and it comes with some challenges and yet I wouldn't change it for anything. Because I talk all the time with people who are in churches are saying we don't know how we're going to ever connect with the next generation. So we're working that out in real time. There is a declaration of what God has done and an affirmation of what God is doing and what God is going to do. And if you are in the younger generation, you find yourself in a place where you have people that are rooting for you to affirm the work of God in your life, to pray for and to celebrate a fresh encounter of God in every generation. The church is going to endure. Will we be a part of that enduring work? That's sort of the heart of this series. So we talked about bridging the generation gap, not simply because we're trying to extend our fame or fortune or family business or something, but because we want to do everything in our power to invite the work of God that will outlast us. Can somebody say amen to that? I mean, there's actually a real joy when you start thinking about you know, leaving a legacy of the work of God and the generations that will come after you and to know that after you're done laboring and running your race, that should the Lord tarry, that that work of God will last. So we talked about honoring up, and we talked about investing down. And we see this sort of dynamic really all throughout Scripture, and we've seen it really all throughout our church in some various ways. Not that we have arrived, but that we have a lot to celebrate. As I look at Scripture you heard messages about Moses and Joshua, about Elijah and Elisha. You hear scriptures from, about Ruth and Naomi, about David and Solomon. We talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, three generations right there in the name. And today I want to talk with you a little bit about Paul and Timothy, a New Testament example of honoring up and investing down. And the title of the message today is Finishing Well, which I think obviously has implications that we're wrapping up a series and the heart of this message as we look in 2 Timothy chapter 4 if you have your Bibles you can flip over there uh, I, want, I want to sort of highlight another example of sort of God working across the generations but I think there's also some implications not just for a series ending but as we think about living our life with the end in mind you know, that whatever generation you find yourself in, no matter how old you are, there is something about walking with Christ that we are moving toward something. We are moving toward someone, that there is a destination in mind. And so we, we, we must live with the end in mind. Not sure how many days, weeks, or years the Lord will give us. So finishing well, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, you can't go back and change the beginning but you can start where you are and change the ending. And as we conclude this series with the end in mind, I trust that the Holy Spirit will stir your heart in some special ways today. Second Timothy chapter four, I'm gonna read the first eight verses with us, with you today. And then really the, the heart of the message is, I wanna give you four words that I think will help us to sort of conclude this series and a lot of the things that we've talked about well. So I'm just going to give you four words that will sort of become the points of the message. Second Timothy chapter 4, let's read the first five verses now. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, rebuke, 
and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching and have itching ears. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, this is Paul to Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pause on that for just a moment. We're going to look at several scriptures today, but the reason that this one kind of stands out to me as an important starting place, I'd just like to highlight a couple of things. First of all, I love that in this scripture, we've got Paul's coming to the end of his life, and he's writing to Timothy, a person who he's mentored, he's poured into, he's taught, he's encouraged, he's rebuked, he's trained, etc., and now he's given these kind of final words to him. And we hear in these words a calling up from one generation to the next. And that's vitally important. We want to see the glory of God in every generation. There is a calling up of the work of God from the older generation to the next generation. He says, I charge you in the presence of God. I charge you. He's like, pay attention. This is important. In the name of Christ, who's judging the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That was Timothy's calling. So we see this calling up from one generation to the next. We see in this relationship, once again, a beautiful example of honoring up Paul, who was the father of the faith, the one who was nurturing and developing and fanning to flame the gifts in the younger, and there's an, an investing down into Timothy, who is a spiritual son, like family. We see a bit of an urgency to this message, rightly so. And we see that it is grounded in the calling of God over Timothy's life. I love as he gets to this, this ending part, he's talking about this is your calling. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. That means when it's convenient, be ready, because that's your calling. When it's inconvenient, be ready, because that's your calling. And so there's something very beautiful about the older generation calling out and reminding of the work of God in the next generation. Like whenever you see as an older person the work of God and affirm the work of God in the next generation, you are cementing the calling that God has for them. You're not manipulating, you're not, you're not doing it for them. You're reminding them of the work of God in their generation. So every parent that prays for their kid, every mentor who invests, every coach, every person who's looking, what are you doing? You're calling up the work of God in the next generation. Vitally important. And it's grounded in calling. As for you, for Timothy, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That is a powerful statement for the older to be saying to the younger, fulfill your ministry. So as you pray for your kids, as you pray for those who are younger than you, pray for your family, fulfill your ministry. If that ministry word is tricky, fulfill the destiny and identity that God has for you. That's what I'm speaking over you. That's what we as a church are, are endeavoring to do as we minister to the next generation. That's what Paul's endeavoring to do as he's ministering to Timothy. Now, I want you to note this, and then we're gonna read the last couple of verses here. Note this, fulfill your ministry. Every young person 
needs the voice of the older generation calling them forward. And sometimes it is simply a reminder to the next generation of this is where God has gifted you. This is where God has used you in the past. I need this as well. I need to, that reminder because you know ministry is tough and life is tough and we, we're always dealing with, with the flesh and the enemy and the world and all that kind of stuff. We're all dealing with this, right? So when you hear the voice of the older generation, those who have run a couple extra laps and they say, listen, I'm praying for you. I'm reminding you of the calling of God in your life. This is what you hear Paul saying to Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. Now notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, fulfill my ministry. Do you see this? And I think that Paul could have maybe been really tempted to say, look, we've done some missionary trips and we've got some churches planted. We got a good thing going here. I'm kind of up for most of the New Testament in terms of my epistles. We got, I, I, I've got a good deal. If you could just kind of keep that going, fulfill my ministry. That's what we're tempted to do. But Paul actually says, no, fulfill your ministry. And, and that's, th this is the beautiful sort of, I'm in, I'm invested, I'm praying, I care. All of that stuff is there, but I'm not doing it for me. Like, I'm not seeing the next generation as just an extension of, like, you gotta keep my thing going. You gotta keep God's thing going. You gotta fulfill your ministry in your generation. It's not finish my race. It's run your race. Fulfill your ministry. So we see this beautiful example. Paul's investing well, but he's letting go. And he's trusting that God's going to do the good work through Timothy. Now, why the urgency, why the sort of fatalistic sound in this? He says this now in verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, I suspect that when you come to the time or when I come to the time, you realize I don't have much time left. What a blessing it would be to be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Verse eight, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to those who have loved his appearing. So we see that here's Paul. He's sort of at the end. He's finishing well. He's coming up, but he's, he's ready to pass the baton and he's helping the next generation step into their calling. Now we've covered a lot of ground in this series. We preach several messages we baptized some folks along the way, even some young folks, next generation, that was beautiful. We dedicated some babies, if you can't be more on the nose than that, blessing the next generation, awesome. We've encouraged mentoring, and some of you may be even experiencing some, some mentoring relationships that are beginning to bud. Uh, last week, we commissioned our life team, sent them down to not Miami, but Orlando. I said in the first service, we sent them to Miami. It was a hot Florida city. We sent them somewhere. I knew that. I knew that. Yeah, we got them to the airport at 5 a.m. on Monday after we prayed for them last week. I I've never seen uh, young people so chipper and excited at 5 a.m. I'm curious tomorrow when they arrive back how chipper they will be. Find out. Someone's going to need a nap, I suspect. 
But we commissioned our life team, and, and in fact, some of you gathered in this last week. On Wednesday, we had sort of our special prayer time. We were praying for the, the next generation. I got a little sick. I wasn't able to come. I was praying uh, uh, from a distance. But I want to talk before the end of this message about, like, what does that element signify? Like a church that's saying we're coming around our next generation people. I want to give you sort of an example of that here at the end of the message. And then finally today, we're just talking about finishing well. Finishing well. I was at a funeral service years ago. I wasn't officiating. I was just attending, and the pastor got up, and he, he quoted Acts 13.36. And Acts 13 is an interesting passage because it's, it's Paul talking about a lot of history of the, the work that God has done with his people and raising up different kings and doing all this stuff. And then he talks about David in verse 36. And he says this specifically, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried, he died, he was buried, and he decayed, right? It's a little bit like abrupt, But it caught my attention because here we are celebrating the life of an individual, and this is what we do when we gather together to to celebrate when someone has gone home to be with the Lord, right? We're essentially saying they finished their race. And what you hope is that you would be able to say, and what you hope and I hope is that we would come to the end of our race being able to say, we ran our best. You know, we ran it well. By the grace of God. We lived for things that mattered. And when we had fulfilled the things in our generation, we're ready to go. Now, I love that as Paul is writing this to Timothy, he's really not whining about it. It's not a guilt trip. It's not a pity party. It's not saying, oh, if only I had more time. He's just saying, I ran my race. I ran my race. And we get that. That's a gift. That is a gift when we are able to come to the end of our life and say we ran it well. We pursued things that mattered. That will transcend generation to generation. Matthew 25, Jesus says there is something coming for the servant who is faithful to steward the life that has been entrusted to him. Matthew 25, 23, well done, good and faithful servant. See, we are moving toward uh, life with the end in mind, and that's the end that we are hoping for. Well done, good and faithful servant. So how do we wrap this, this thing up? What I'd like to do with the remainder of our time is I just want to underscore four words in your vocabulary as you think about the glory of God in every generation, the glory of God in my generation, passing down to the next generation, all of these sort of things that we've talked about over these many weeks bringing us up to this day. So four words. Number one, intentionality. Number two, I want to talk about humility. Number three, I want to talk about continuity. And number four, I want to talk about commitment and ask you to just come to a place of commitment as we wrap up this series together. So number one, intentionality. You remember that Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 32, he said sort of an interesting thing about anybody who would be the, his disciple. He said, anyone who would be my disciple, you're not going to be fit for discipleship. If you are the kind of person who puts your hand to the plow, this is sort of a farming experience or example, you put your hand to the plow and look back. 
that there was a commitment. You need to know what you're getting into when you put your hand to the plow, that you are going forward. And to go forward and to keep straight, you've got to look forward. You can't spend all of your time second-guessing if you are going to be a disciple of Christ. So intentionality. There is a cost to following Jesus. We know this. I mean, if you've, if you've walked with Christ for any amount of time, you know there, you count the cost. It's a daily sort of thing. You're counting the cost and you're moving forward. That is what discipleship is. There is a cost to investing down in the generations. There is a cost to honoring up across the generations. Let me, uh, let me uh, illustrate it to you this way. Um, the, the, here's the phrase. There will be times that you don't understand one another. Okay, that's the phrase. I first heard this in a script that I, would, uh, that I was looking at for uh, marriage uh, ceremonies. So they had scripted into this marriage ceremony to the bride and to the groom, there will be times that you don't understand one another. Now you talk about the understatement of the century. Not all of you are called to marriage, not all of you are married. Some of you have gone the journey of marriage and so you know that you get up and you say, I'm gonna commit my life to you, you're gonna commit my life to me, sickness and health, and richer for poor, or whatever, and you have no clue what you're getting into. You have no idea how difficult this love of your life is going to be at times. So I struck that from the ceremony. There's gonna be times that you don't understand each other. And instead encourage the bride and the groom to look at each other and to say, today you may be marrying the most selfish person you've ever met. Let's just get that on the table. There'll be times you don't understand each other. Generationally, it's also an understatement. There may be times you don't understand. Well, of course. We, we experience that. Some of you are experiencing that right now. You're, you're wrestling with mom and dad or, or, or your kids or, or maybe it's a work situation and, and my boss is so old and doesn't understand or too young and doesn't understand or whatever. Like the generational stuff is real. So intentionality is important. There's a cost to this. This means... We come to the, the gaps, we come to the, the, the bumps in the road, and we say, as we do in marriage, you know, like, yeah, we're not always gonna understand each other, we're not gonna always get this right, but when we don't get it, we are committed to working through it. So when you're wrestling across the generations, even in a church setting, and you're saying, yeah, this, this doesn't, you know, what we're doing essentially is arming you with the ability to say, we may have a different perspective. We might see this differently. The way that you're looking at this might make no sense to me at all. And yet, there's a bigger picture in play. And intentionality kicks in where you say, you know what, I'm going to still seek to honor those who have gone before. And I'm gonna seek to invest in those who are coming after me even when it's difficult. But it's absolutely gonna require intentionality. And I'm gonna give you one, just one other example on this one real quick. Um, I wanna encourage intentionality in our younger generations about seeking the people who might invest in you. Like when you see the work of God in the generation before you, go after those people. 
Like, don't just go after somebody because they're older than you. Go after the people that you see Christ at work in them. And just tell them, look, I see God doing stuff in you or in your history, and I I need to learn how to pray like you. I need to learn how to think like you. I need to learn how to, can I just sort of sit in your shadow? It takes some humility. That's our second point we're going to get to in a second, so don't get ahead of myself. But intentionality, younger generation, let me encourage you to seek out people where you see God at work where you could learn. I actually made a habit of doing this. That when, I, when I saw people, I was just like, wow, I just respect this person, or I just really am admiring the work of God. I would go to that person and say, hey, would you pray for me? I, just would, like, I would like you to pray over me. But whatever God's been doing in you, that he would maybe do a little bit of that in me. That's essentially what Elisha said to Elijah. That's why I love that story. He said, I'm asking for a double portion of the spirit of God in you. I'm asking for that in my life. He said, well, that's just selfish. Double portion. Ask for a double portion. Ask that the things that we have learned might be passed down, that that might be encouraged. Ask that the work of God in the generations before you. So I'm encouraging intentionality. I'll give you just one other quick example on this. All these points are not this long, but let me just give you one more. Um, a, A very good friend of our family is a pastor in Colorado Uh, He's a Pennsylvania boy, grew up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We actually got to know him during his time at ACF when we were uh, doing ACF ministry, which is our campus ministry. So Amy and I, it was our very first Sunday, happened to be his very first Sunday as a freshman at Penn State. So we were all kind of figuring this stuff out together. My favorite little side story, his name is Spencer Sweeting. My favorite little side story with Spencer is that he showed up as a freshman, maybe a little sure, uh, over sure of himself, and he meets a young woman, a little bit older than him, who uh, takes an interest, or so he thinks, because she's very welcoming, very interested to know a little bit of his story. Her name was Amy Henning. (laughs) And so he goes and tells his friends, I met this upperclassman girl, like really cute, and I think she probably likes me, you know. Then I get up and introduce myself and my wife, and he almost dies. His friends are like, I'm not sure if you're going to hell, but you're pretty close. You cannot flirt with the pastor's wife. That is not cool. We got to be very good friends, <laughs> despite our start. And uh, the thing I remember about Spencer is he, he came to me probably his sophomore year, and he said, you know, I, I really feel a calling in my life uh, to ministry but I need to learn. I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and can, you, can you teach me? Can you mentor me? Can we pray together? Whatever. And so we, we began years of, of walking together and learning together and mentoring and all of those kind of things. And recently, Spencer was highlighted in a national podcast that our, our denomination does. And he talked about like his, time, his formative time at his ACF years and the ways that our church and, and our campus ministry was, was, was formative in him. And that story has been told by so many of us. People that are here, people that are in this room, people that are leading us in, in various ways even today that God has, we, we've had the joy of seeing God develop them and now they're sharing their faith and, and mentoring others. That is a priceless thing. We don't always get it right 
but when we can look back on it. So I want to just encourage you. The, thing that, the reason I was bringing up Spencer is that he came back to me. He was persistent. He said, look, I, I, I really want you to mentor me. I mean, he came after me in that kind of way. He said, I want to latch on. And so we, we started doing some things together. So I want to encourage that in the younger generation. You're not too young to start learning and learning from the next generation. Honor up, invest down. So intentionality is the first word that I want to give you today. The second one, we'll do this quickly because it's sort of right to the point, is humility. The bottom line is this. We want to be a multi-generational church, God's glory in every generation. We want to honor up. We want to invest down, all that stuff. You will never honor up well if you're full of pride. Right? You know, I mean, that's that teachable spirit. And, and one of the things that's, that's always tricky is that can a, can a teachable, can a non-teachable person learn that they're not teachable? You just need humility. You're never going to invest down well if you're full of pride. Why? Because this, you're going to be safeguarding. This is, well, we've always done this this way, and it's, it's going to be hard to trust, and you're not going to want to be able to fulfill my mission kind of thing, not fulfill your calling. And so when we're full of pride, it doesn't work. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. How about that? I mean, if that doesn't give you just a, a, a simple toehold, foothold place where you can pray, God, help me to be hungry. That's a good prayer. God, more of your Holy Spirit. That's a good prayer. God, help me to see things like you see things. That's a good prayer. God, keep me humble. God, make me humble. Every generation. That's a good prayer. This is why we never get too far away from the topics of humility, why we never get too far away from unity in our preaching. It matters. It matters. I love that James 4, 6, that's where it says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. It actually starts by saying, but he gives us more grace. Aren't you glad that his grace is available to, to us today? Even those of us who need a real dose of Christ-like humility, he gives us more grace. He opposes the proud gives grace to the humble so your second word is humility the third word is continuity and i want to just read a scripture to you from acts chapter 2 that actually during the course of this series one of our congregation members sent to me and said hey look at this and i love this continuity this is in acts chapter 2 uh, the Holy Spirit has just come at Pentecost, and so the, the new church is kind of literally kind of set on fire. I mean, there's a, the f- tongues of fire falling on their heads, and they're out, and they're ministering, and, and, and people don't know what to do with it because this work of God is sort of strange and hard to understand, and they're hearing things in their own language. You remember the story of Pentecost. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11, and he raised his voice. This is Acts 2, 14. And he addresses the crowd, fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. The first thing he says is they're not drunk, because that was the assumption. They've all been drinking too much. This is nine in the morning, they're not drunk. That's not what it is. He says this, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So then he goes back to the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people your sons and daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams even on my servants both men and women i will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and he goes on to talk about that i want you to just simply say this the constant in the work of god 
from the time of Pentecost until now. The constant is the work of the Spirit in the heart of the church. So even back in the days of Joel, the young men are, are going to visions, the old men are going to dream dreams. This is not a generational thing. They're going to do this, and then they're going to stop, and then they're going to do this. It is the constant across the generations, the work of the Spirit in the heart of the church. So when we come to the places, and we will, and we have, and we do, where we say, I just don't understand. I don't get it. What do we listen for? What do we look for? What do we pray for? God, help us to see the work of the Spirit in the heart of the church. Help me to see the work of the Spirit in the heart of the church so that when it's a generational difference and we kind of view things differently or value things differently or whatever, help me to see the work of the Spirit in the heart of the church. And when you look, and by God's grace, you, you can kind of have eyes to see, all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, there it is. There it is. Hold up a second. You know, I, it's, this is a little weird. That's not the language I would use or whatever, but I'm beginning to see the work of the Spirit in the heart of the church. This is the continuity that transcends generation. That from the prophet Joel to the time of Pentecost to now, it is the work of the Spirit in the heart of the church that we look for, that we pray for, that we celebrate, even though generationally it may look different. Does that make sense? I'm gonna give you uh, one other just, this is just a very practical thing. Um, it strikes me that we have uh, two different services here. And interestingly, this service tends to be younger than our first service. First service tends to be a little older than second service. So the thought came to my mind I wonder if we have even just embedded in that an opportunity just to intermingle a little bit differently. That like when you say I'm I'm kind of I've kind of got my tunnel vision. I sort of see things my way, and I'm with people that see things my way. Some of you are feeling really good right now because you just realize I'm I'm one of the young people in this church. <laughs> good, go for it. Um, but to to actually break out of that mold intentionally. I mean, we we actually have people who have said, you know, I, I actually am trying to connect with brothers and sisters in the other service and just to sort of sing hymns that I don't usually sing here or, or hear things I don't usually hear here or just to be with people I'm not usually with. I was speaking uh, weeks ago, months ago now. Uh, I had got to, gotten to the end of the service and one of our couples, I can't remember if it was first or second, doesn't really matter, one of our couples who is older here was introducing me to somebody that they had met and uh, just in the service. And so they introduced me. I said, hello, nice to meet them. All good people. And we're, you know, we're just sort of talking, get to know each other a little bit. And then they said, and she's coming over to have lunch with us this afternoon. You know what I mean? That's like an intentionality of saying, hey, we're just going to eat and get to know each other a little bit. So I want to encourage that. Intentionality, humility, continuity what would you learn what do you learn when you see God at work across the generations and then I'm just going to do this last one last word is commitment commitment um, I mentioned early in the service about um, what happens when you pray like when, when you intercede 
for the next generation. That's one of the greatest things that you can do in terms of being an investor and investing well. So what happens when you do that? I, I was thinking a little bit about, um, so the, the life team went down to Orlando, not Miami, Orlando. They go down there, and then on Wednesday, uh, some of our folks were gathered together just to pray over them, just to, to pray for them. So I was sort of thinking about the imagery of that experience and the kind of church that would do that. So then maybe it's because we were uh, out in the West and seeing all kinds of animals that I'm not used to seeing. We saw elk and we saw a moose. Uh, we saw a grizzly bear. Amy loved that. Um, she was really excited because it was on the trail with us. We just kind of walking along. Um, we tried to bring a little baby bison home. They wouldn't let on the plane, so that didn't work. Uh, we didn't really do that. Um, but perhaps from seeing all of these kind of animals that I'm not used to seeing, I was intrigued. I, I, I was watching this, this documentary on musk ox. That's like bison on steroids. And the musk ox have calves, and the wolves are trying to eat the, the, the calves, right? So the, the wolves are doing their thing, and they're chasing them or whatever, and, and these big, burly musk ox, they stand up shoulder to shoulder, horns out, babies are back here, the wolves are over here, and they are just, they're just a wall. In fact, one of the wolves comes up and is trying to get through, and they just, boom, just smash that thing, you know what I mean? Not alone, but as a group. And so I thought, that's kind of what we do when we pray for the next generation, right? Because you're dealing with the flesh, the world, and the devil, the next generation is dealing with the flesh, the world, and the devil, right? It's, this is part of the journey. This is part of counting the cost of being a disciple of Christ and going after him. And so there is something about the little bit more seasoned brother or sister, mother or father figure, grandfather, grandmother, who's got a couple scars on their face because they've been on the front lines of these battles, and yet they're kind of linking arms and saying, all right, you get back here, we're gonna stand. That's what intercession is. It's literally, it's a standing in the gap. So I thought, what a beautiful sort of picture this is. Young people get back here, the wolves out here, we're not gonna control you, we're not gonna live your life for you, but by God's grace, as we are able, we are standing against those who would come to devour you. It's a good picture. And that's what you did. Now maybe it didn't feel like that. It wasn't hairy and sweaty and bloody and wolves and all that kind of stuff. But you got together and you built a wall and you blessed the next generation. And you said we're inviting the work of God, not the work of the enemy, not the work of the flesh, not the work of the world. So that's commitment. That's commitment. And as I reflected on this, um, this series and these weeks that we spent together and thinking about the, our church, we're, by, you know, we're not perfect at all. We got a lot of growing to do, a lot of work to do. I got a lot of growing and work to do and stuff, but I see the commitment in a lot of corners. And that's a good thing. That's the sort of investment that honors God from one generation to the next. I also want to just give you this practical thing. I asked, I asked Bill Jester this week. Bill our, runs our kids' ministry, and again, just huge investment. We are unapologetic about being a next-generation church. Bill and his team have done a great job with that. And I said, hey, what are the biggest needs that you have? You have camp coming up, and you've got other ministries that you're going to get rolling for the fall. And he says, we always have need for hands-on people. 
And so I, I just want to encourage you with that. If you're at a place, maybe you've done it before and you want to do it again, maybe you've never done it before and you say, I don't really have a link to the next generation, right? Maybe you're just, that's where you're at. You just say, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know how I'm gifted. I don't really know how to kind of connect to the next generation. I want to encourage you. Talk to, talk to Bill Jester. Say, hey, is there a place where I can be a prayer warrior? Is there a place I can listen to kids do Bible verses at Awana? Is there a place I could do something? You know, you don't have to have a big resume. Be a next generation person. Find Bill, and if he gets 35 emails in his inbox, he'll say, hey, thanks for the plug. Because we want to reach the next generation. And we're unapologetic about that. So here's how I'd like to conclude Worship team, actually, you can come on up and, and get ready to lead us out. We've got, we got a great, great closing sort of declaration that we can sing together, and I'm excited to, to sing that with you. When we started this series, we were asking the Lord for a couple of things. We were asking God that our church family would find some joy in partnership between younger and older generations. God's been doing some of that. May he continue to do that as we go forward. We've been asking God that he would, would bless across the generations of our church, that we would, would see the work of God, that, that there would be men and women that are saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not too old, and, and God's got me here, and I'm not done. You know, and so stepping into that calling, that we would see young people that would say, you know, I'm, I'm not too young Remember Paul's encouragement to Timothy. Before this, he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. You set the example. So we're asking for the work of God in every generation. We ask that, that God would work in us to, in a way that is markedly different from the world. And that's what we're talking about in these various ways. These are tools that the world doesn't have. These are things that the world can't give. So we're asking the Spirit of God to work among us. We ask that we might have a little bit of fun along the way and that we would learn from each other. We'd learn from each other. That's how we grow. Finally, that we would be intentional, unapologetic about our next generation calling. Like, we're not apologizing for that. We're not backing away from that. We're not putting that into neutral and just see where it goes or whatever. We're, we are going to be intentional and deliberate and prayerful and resourcing and everything. What can we do to reach the next generation? That's part of our pledge. It's part of our moving forward. So I'm gonna just ask you to stand if you would. I just wanna say a prayer for you. I wanna invite you to pray. If you've got some special prayer uh, needs that you need to do today. Maybe you just say, hey, God's been put something on my heart or I need to, I need to work something out with him. Or whatever. Just You can come up and spend some altar time. You're welcome to do that. If at the end of the service, you've got a need, you say, I just want someone to pray with me. We'll, we'll have some prayer people up here that you can just say, going after that. You might have a need. You might have a need in your family. You just, I'm just so burdened for the next generation. I hear some of your stories. I know that that is part of the equation for some of us. So uh, I'm just going to pray for you, encourage you to do a little bit of business with the Lord today. So Father, here we are, grateful for the work that you began long, long ago. So Lord, it's, it's humbling. Lord, it's so humbling for us 
to realize that no matter how old we may be, maybe we feel like, oh, I've been around here forever. Long before we were here, you were at work. So let us just be humbled by that for a moment. God, thank you for the generational and foundational work that you have done to bring us to this place. We are so grateful. Lord, I sense in my spirit that there's a little whisper, your Holy Spirit kind of just saying, Look, I, I want to unpack some calling. I want to unpack some, some direction. I want to do some work. And if in these messages and in this time together, the activities of these last couple of months, Lord, that we would maybe just see a couple steps forward in that direction. We receive that. We say thank you. God, I do pray that we would be unapologetic in our desire to say we want to see your glory transferred through the next generation and generations to come. That should you tarry in your second coming, Jesus, that the church would be strong and that this expression of the church would be strong for generations. Lord, we also confess that we need your help. There's plenty of places where we, we find ourselves just wrestling, and so we just kind of hear your, hear your calling today. Hear you saying, be intentional, be humble, continuity, be committed. And so God, we receive that challenge today, and we say yes, by your grace, we receive that challenge. So help us now to declare this. Help us to live it well. We love you and we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. Hey, let's lift our voices together as we pray and as we sing. Team, why don't you uh, take us out?